Today and next week, we're going to be discussing a subject that is vitally important. We're going to be talking about spiritual warfare. In fact, I believe that a great deal of the harassment and even the disaster that the enemy tries to send against us can be taken care of with this simple truth. Now, I'm going to make a statement. And then I'm going to give you several examples, and then next week we're going to discuss some of the how-tos. Now don't pass this off as just another Bible study, because I'm going to be giving you a truth that can really save your life. Okay, now let me make the statement first. When Satan sends one of his suggestive thoughts, so many times we ignore it rather than answering it. I want to say that again so you'll get it. So many times when the enemy sends these thoughts, these suggestive thoughts in our mind, many times we ignore those thoughts rather than answering them God's way. Now the difference between ignoring and answering can make all the difference in the world. See, that's how the enemy works. He puts thoughts in our mind. Now, he can't read our mind, but what he does do, he impresses us with mind thoughts. And so often, instead of answering those mind thoughts the way God tells us to, we just ignore those mind thoughts. And boy, we just think we're winning when we do that because we think, oh, well, we're just not paying him any mind. When in reality, we're doing exactly what the enemy wants us to do. See, that thought that he sends is not going to disintegrate. It's not going to just go away. In the spiritual realm, those thoughts are tangible. And they're Satan's mightiest warfare weapon. And they don't just go away. They don't disintegrate. That thought may many times go over in the corner of our subconscious mind and find a place to embed out of our conscious thinking. But it's waiting there to add fuel to the enemy assignment any time that it's needed. Now, the enemy's never discouraged just because we ignore him. In fact, just exactly the opposite is true. Now, you can ignore the enemy after you've taken care of it, after you've answered him and handled it with the Word of God. Then you can ignore him and move on. But don't ignore the things that the enemy puts in your mind. Don't ignore that initially because the only assignment breaking, the only tragedy stopping, the only plan busting that we're ever going to do is going to be with our spiritual weapons. And it's not going to be taken care of by ignoring it. It's not going to be taken care of by denial. It's not going to be taken care of by trying to escape or busying ourselves so we don't have to think about what the enemy's saying to us. See, those things won't work. And we're never going to find in the Word of God where God says to ignore the enemy. We've been given spiritual weapons that are divinely empowered. God says that He has empowered these weapons, and ignoring the enemy is not one of our spiritual weapons. Now, we've gone over our spiritual weapons many, many times, but God has given us ample weapons. He's given us the Word of God. He's given us the name of Jesus. He's given us the blood of Jesus. He's given us praise, past testimonies. All these things are spiritual weapons, and when we use those spiritual weapons in faith, they will tear down the plan of the enemy. Now, I'm not just talking about mouthing some religious-sounding cliché, but when we operate in these spiritual weapons in faith, then things happen in the spiritual realm. Now, later you can look up Hebrews 4, verse 2. But it says that the good news was preached, but it didn't profit them because it was not united with faith by the ones that heard it. I want you to think about that. Just because we're saying things that come out of the Word of God, that's not necessarily going to set us free. 
because the good news was preached, but Hebrews 4.2 says that it didn't profit them because it was not united by faith. So we can't just be a hearer of the Word. We have to mix faith with it. And that's what ignites the power that's in the Word. See, there's power in the Word of God. But what ignites that power in our situation is when we put forth that Word in faith. Now, we answer Satan by taking a portion of the Word, taking some promise out of the Word that has to do with our particular situation, and begin to meditate on it and begin to say it until we come to the place where we know that we know that we know that that's a truth. And when that promise becomes a conviction down on our heart, when it's not just a ritualistic, meaningless word, when it starts meaning something, when it becomes a conviction, then it's going to work. Now, later you can look up Hebrews 11, verse 1, but it gives us the definition of faith. Now, if you have a King James, it says faith is the substance of things that are hoped for. In other words, faith is actually a substance in the spiritual realm of something that you're believing for, that you're expecting. It says it's the evidence of whatever it is that you haven't seen yet. It's out there in the spiritual realm, but it's the evidence that you've already received it. If you have a New American Standard, it says faith is the assurance of things that are expected, things that are hoped for. It's the conviction of the things that are not seen. It's the conviction in our heart that this is true. So faith is a conviction. And that's what I'm wanting you to hear tonight. Faith in God's Word is a conviction in our heart that God's Word is true. Now you know what a conviction is. Anytime you have a strong enough conviction, you're ready to fight for it. If I'm convicted that something's right, boy, I'll stand forever and fight for it. So it has to become a conviction in our heart that this Word is true. That should be the strongest conviction that we have is that God's Word is true. And when that happens, then we're going to say it. And when we say it after it's become a conviction in our heart, then it is a weapon that will literally do battle in the spiritual realm. Now, you may have to confess it for a good while before it becomes a conviction, before it becomes a spiritual weapon. But that's okay as long as we're confessing it and we don't quit until we get there. Now, it's not going to be a conviction the first time that you speak forth a portion of the Word. You may not even totally believe it the first time you say it. I remember the first time that I read Psalm 91. I didn't believe it. And I said, God, I can't believe this. If I believed this, I'd have to be going against the entire world. I thought, Lord, there's no way I'm ever going to be able to believe this. But God had me just keep saying it and saying it and saying it until it became a conviction in my heart. And one day, something clicks down on the inside. And when it does, then that portion of Scripture is a weapon in your mouth. And every time you use it, it does something in the spiritual realm. Now, I'm going to digress for just a moment on purpose. Years ago, I was attending a meeting in Abilene, and there were several hundred people there. And so the speaker called me forth to give me a word, and I was so excited. Now, I didn't realize that I was doing this, but evidently while he was giving me the word, I must have been saying, praise God, hallelujah, or whatever. I don't know what I was saying. But he stopped right in the middle of what he was saying, and he asked me if I meant what I was saying. Well, obviously, I didn't really mean what I was saying because I didn't know I was saying anything. And it embarrassed me badly in front of all these people. But I never forgot that lesson. I don't want to just mouth praises. I don't want to mouth anything in the Word of God if it's just going to be meaningless chatter. So I try to catch myself because I don't want to say it if I don't really mean it. I, I don't want to say it if there's not a goal out there for it to become a conviction 
down in my heart. See, every time we say the word, it shouldn't just be meaningless chatter. There should be a conviction that, Lord, I am saying this because I'm believing this to become a conviction in my heart for me to be able to release faith for it. Now, Jesus said that we have to rid ourselves of vain repetition. In other words, saying something with no sincere motivation, saying something without a goal of its becoming a conviction. And that's why a lot of people will slip into the habit of just using religious phrases as bywords. Sometimes they'll say, oh, dear God, or Lord, help me, or good Lord, or oh, my God. You'll hear that sometimes, and sometimes we may even be guilty of it, but that's coming very close to taking God's name in vain, like a byword where we just say, gee whiz. And it may have started out as a sincere prayer. See, it may have been that at one time we were saying, oh, dear God, and we really meant it. Our heart was reaching up toward God. Or we might have said, oh, God, you are so good, instead of good Lord, where it's just become a phrase. Now, if our words degenerate to the point that they become trite, then it's not going to be a weapon with which we answer the enemy. It's not going to help anything. Every single time the Word of God or the name of God comes out of our mouth, it should be causing something good to happen. Every single time. We need to get that conviction that, Lord, when I say the Word or when I say your name, I know that something good is happening out there in the spiritual realm. Now, I digressed for just a moment, but I'm going to assume now that you know that when I say that we're to answer the enemy with God's Word, that I'm talking about speaking forth convictions that have been formed in our heart. Now, Satan came to tempt Jesus. And Jesus didn't ignore the enemy. Jesus answered every single temptation. Now, so many people think, well, the devil doesn't have any power over me. I'm just going to ignore him. He doesn't mean anything. Well, that's not scriptural. I want you to look at 1 Peter 5, verse 8. The Word of God tells us exactly what we're supposed to do when the enemy comes against us, when he's putting thoughts in our mind or when he's bringing an assignment against us. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, starting with verse 8, it says, Be of a sober spirit, be on the alert, in other words, be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, and he's seeking someone to devour. And verse 9 says, but ignore him because he has no power over you. Is that what it says? Okay, I want you to look what it's telling us here. He's saying the devil is roaming about like a roaring lion. He's trying to seek someone that he can devour. But verse 9 doesn't say ignore him. Verse 9 says, but resist him firm in your faith. Okay, how do we resist the enemy? How do we answer him? How do we resist? Okay, look at Luke chapter 4. Luke 4. Now, Jesus knew that he was the Son of God. In Matthew 3, verse 17, it tells us that a voice came out of heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So, Jesus knew he was God's Son. And so, we think of all people, it looks like he could have been one who could have just ignored the enemy. He could have thought, Well, I'm the Son of God. I'm greater than he is. He's just a fallen angel. I don't need to give him an answer. But Jesus didn't do that, and he's our example. Now, even though all those things were true that I just said, Jesus is the Son of God, and Satan is nothing more than a fallen angel. But even though that's true, Jesus didn't ignore the enemy. We find in Luke chapter 4, verse 3, that when the devil came and said, If you be the Son of God, 
Then Jesus answered him, It is written. And he quoted forth the word that was a conviction in his heart. And then later, Satan said, If you'll bow down and worship me, in verse 8, Jesus said, It is written. And then we find out later in verse 9, he says, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down. And again in verse 10, Jesus said, It is written. See, he answered him with the spiritual weapon, the word that was coming out of his mouth. Now that needs to be a household phrase in each of our homes. It needs to be coming out of our mouth all the time. That when anything comes up, we're ready quickly to say, The word says, or it's written. Anytime a contradictory situation arises, that's the first thought that should come in our mind, the first thing out of our mouth. But the Word says. Now, I had an experience several years ago that really got my attention and made me know how important a Bible study, a teaching like this can be to us. See, so often the battles are lost right here at this crossroad. Now, this is going to sound really insignificant, and it was an insignificant situation, but I want you to hear the dynamics. We had counseled with this particular individual, and not long afterwards, I realized that something that we had said in counseling had been twisted. Now, I knew the person well enough to know that it was not a vindictive thing, but since it had been repeated to several different people, I knew something needed to be done about it. And that kind of thing always gets back to us, and when Jack heard about it, well, he just kind of shrugged his shoulders, and he said, oh, well, you know, what can you do about it? And I remember thinking, I hate that it was taken that way because that's not how we meant it. And not only is it causing problems for us, but it's going to cause problems for them down the road. So I went to this person and talked to them and everything was fine and we got it all worked out. And I didn't really even think that I had thought that much about it. But one night while I was fixing dinner, I was just thinking, without even consciously realizing it, I was just thinking about that situation. And I began to absentmindedly just think over some of the things that had been said, and I had all that just kind of mulling around in my head. It was almost kind of like I was daydreaming. And I was thinking about how long we'd been friends and some of the things that we had done together. And I was remembering some of the good memories. And I began to think of the different people that had listened to that with a sympathetic ear. And I remember thinking, you know, oh, I hate that that happened, but I'm glad we got it all taken care of. And then I got dinner ready and everybody started coming in. They were ready to eat. And this one little subtle thought just passed through my mind. And that little subtle thought was, they must not have been a very good friend or that would not have happened. I hadn't even thought that before, but that one little thought just went through my mind. And everybody was there and they were ready to eat. So I didn't do anything about the thought. I just ignored it. And that night was a particularly good evening. We had a good time. Everybody was there and everybody was sharing things. And later we went up and watched some TBN and, and it was just a good evening. Now, I'm not a person who is usually prone to rejection. The enemy comes at me with other things, but usually it's never rejection. But before that evening was over, I began to feel just really down. I felt so low and I just had to work at not having this cloud over my emotions. Well, I never stopped to realize why I was feeling so down because we'd had such a good evening. But because I never took care of it, I never stopped to go back and trace my thoughts back to find out what had brought this on. I got up the next morning and I didn't just feel a little bit down the next morning. I felt hurt. I felt rejected. I felt like I had been betrayed. I felt so sorry for myself. I had self-pity all over me. And I couldn't imagine what was happening. And it was about mid-morning before I finally realized where it was coming from. 
And I just kept thinking, you know, why am I feeling this way? And finally it dawned on me and I realized that I had not taken that thought captive. That thought that had come in just so quickly, just as we were ready to sit down. I didn't answer the enemy. I, I just ignored it. And I had a full-blown attack on my hands within 12 hours. And what would have taken maybe five minutes the night before to have handled it took nearly an hour before I could actually get on top of it. And I realized that's what we're doing so many times. Now, I'm not just talking about in the area of rejection. I'm just using that as an example. It can be the area of a fear thought. It can be a thought of anger. It can be a thought of hurt. It can be anything that the enemy sends. And if we don't answer the enemy with the Word of God, and if we don't use it to do spiritual warfare and take care of it, when we start taking it in, subconsciously, it's going to start doing a work on us. And sometimes... It may be a week or two before we even stop to realize what's happening. And by that time, we're really wondering what on earth is happening. And any time that we get down like that, we have to retrace our thoughts and go back and find out and then take authority. But see, the longer we leave that thought there without taking care of it, the more damage it does. And if it's left there long enough, it'll build a stronghold in our mind. And so Satan is wanting us to ignore those thoughts. We have to come to a place where we take those thoughts captive. When Angela was in the Philippines several years ago, she taught two different times on healing, and she was teaching people who had never heard the word on healing before. And she said that both times while she was teaching that a thought just kind of passed through her mind that she was going to be sick. And she said she just kind of passed it off because she thought, oh, well, it's just because I'm teaching on healing. So she ignored that thought and just went right on. Well, the team had spent most of the summer eating what was placed before them, and they said most of the time they didn't know what it was that was being placed before them. But this particular night, they had given shrimp to them. They had put shrimp out in front of them. And she said all of a sudden she had this knowing that she wasn't supposed to eat the shrimp. Now, it didn't smell bad or anything like that, but she just had this knowing. Now, it might have been the Lord impressing her not to eat it, or it could have been the Holy Spirit nudging her to get her to make sure that she released extra faith for the sanctification of the food, or it could have just been the enemy saying that he was going to get her. But whatever it was, she said that she ignored that thought and she just shrugged it off. And she thought, ah, oh, this is just because I taught on healing. So she didn't answer it. She didn't take care of it. She didn't use the word. She didn't do any kind of warfare. And she got so sick that she eventually ended up in the hospital there in the Philippines. Now, she did eventually get her healing, but it was a long bout before she was okay. And you say, well, could she have done something about it? Well, certainly she could have. The Bible says so. We're his sheep and we do hear his voice. And when we get those thoughts, if we know what the Word of God has to say, then we're going to be able to see victory. And if we don't have a direct answer, if we can't find a direct answer to use to come against the enemy, then all we have to do is ask God and he'll tell us exactly what to do every single time. God told her what to do. See, God has an answer and his answer is not to ignore the enemy but it's to take care of what the enemy's trying to bring against us and to take care of it God's way. Now, I've talked with four different people who were prone towards seizures, and all four of them told me that there was just a moment or two, just a little window of time prior to the seizure when they knew what was fixing to come. Now, one of them was an evangelist that has been a friend of ours and has ministered in Brownwood. And he said that after he learned about healing and deliverance, and after he realized that healing was a part of the atonement, 
He said that when that moment of knowing would come right before the seizure, he said that he would busy himself. He would get really busy thinking about something else and he'd say, I'm not going to have a seizure. I'm not going to have a seizure. And he would just begin to just determine, I'm not going to have it. And he said every single time the seizure would come. And he really got discouraged. And he said, finally, he prayed and he said, Lord, I know what your word says, but what is the problem? And the Lord began to show him that he was ignoring the enemy with positive thinking. He was saying, I'm not going to have that seizure. There was a lot of positive thinking. But he wasn't doing warfare with the spiritual weapons. So he really got into the Word. He said that he started studying the Word and began to develop a conviction in his heart. And then he began to answer the enemy rather than ignore him. And he said that since that time, he has never had another seizure. He got serious with the Word of God. Now, I've always said that positive thinking is better than negative thinking, but positive thinking is natural. It's just a natural picker-upper. It's not a spiritual weapon. It never has been and never will be. Uh, positive thinking is not something that has been divinely empowered by God. And it's not going to pull down strongholds from the enemy. Now, it'll probably make that person more pleasant to be around, it's a lot more pleasant to be around a person who is positive rather than a person that's negative. And it may even cause their body to ward off some diseases simply because our body responds to positive thinking better than it does to negative thinking. But it's still not divinely empowered to pull down strongholds. Now, I've heard guys who play sports, and they'll say that many times a thought will come to them right before a big game, I'm going to get hurt in this game, or I'm going to get my knee busted in this game. And many times they would. And I've even heard them later telling people, well, I knew ahead of time this was going to happen. I knew it. I knew before the game that this would happen. Now, sometimes it can be such a fleeting thought that it's not even associated with fear. It was just a pre-conscious thought. But whether it's a fleeting thought or not, we can't just ignore those thoughts. We have to answer them. I can't tell you how many times I've had people tell me that they'll have subtle impressions just sweep across them that they're going to have a car wreck or they're going to have car trouble. Now, I'm not talking about an acquired fear now. That's something different. There's a lot of people who have acquired a fear, say the fear of flying an airplane, thinking that they're going to have a plane crash. Now, they need to take the word and they need to take care of that fear. But I'm talking about something different today. I'm talking about a thought that just seems to pass very quickly through our mind. And it's where we just have this knowing that something is going to happen. Now, this thought's not necessarily coming from a fear buildup. Most of the time, this kind of thought just comes out of the clear blue yonder. But we can't ignore it. We have to answer it with God's word. And you say, well, what if it is God telling you that something is about to happen? Well, God's not going to tell you something bad unless He's telling you for a reason, unless He's telling you so you'll do something about it. See, He doesn't tell us something just so we'll be cushioned when it happens. He doesn't do that. He doesn't tell you just so you can pridefully say later, oh, I knew ahead of time that that was going to happen. No, that's not how He operates. When I was growing up, we had this man in the neighborhood and before every big fire, he would dream about it one or two days in advance. And then at the fire, he would stand around. Everybody would gather when they'd see a big fire, and, and he'd stand around. And he would always say, I knew this was going to happen. I dreamed about it two days ago. 
Well, God wasn't giving him some pre-knowledge so that he would have some interesting story to tell. If it was God telling him, then God was telling him so that he'd do something about it. See, he tells us so that we use the weapons. We've been given authority as he is, so are we to be in this earth. And he tells us so that we'll use our spiritual weapons and do something. Now, the thought will often come true if we don't answer it. You know, a famous evangelist felt like something was going to happen to one of his children. And he thought that God was just telling him ahead of time to cushion him. And so instead of realizing that God was warning him so that he would take authority. Instead of taking that authority, he just sat down with the child and discussed it with them. They ended up making out a will, and later that child was killed. Now, it can almost become a source of pride when a member of a family can stand up and say, I knew this ahead of time. And maybe they did, but they need to ask themselves, why did I know it ahead of time? Why did God allow me to know this ahead of time? See, we're his body in this earth, and we've been given authority to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And then he left, he went to heaven, and he left his authority with us. See, probably every mate and every parent at one time or another has had a thought or an intuition or a hunch or whatever it is that they want to call it, where they know that their child or their mate is going to get a bad report at the doctor, or going to have an accident or something of that nature. And sometimes we feel like we've really come a long way when we just ignore that thought rather than mulling it over and working ourselves up into a stew and getting all fearful like we used to do. And so we feel like we've come a long way when we can just kind of shrug our shoulders and go on. But that's the deception of the enemy. See, we were never commanded to ignore. We were commanded to resist firm in our faith. Now, Psalm 91 is a good example. Sometimes we use Psalm 91 to pray as a prayer of thanksgiving to the Father. And that's a wonderful prayer of thanksgiving. But there's other times when you need to use it as a spiritual weapon. And when you know that the enemy has passed a thought through your mind, then you need to say, Satan, I'm dwelling in the shelter of the Most High, and I'm abiding in the shadow of the Almighty. And God says that He will deliver me from your trap. He tells me that He will deliver me from that deadly pestilence, which is a, a fatal disease or a fatal epidemic. And Satan, when you come, you're going to find that the shield that I raise up against you is the fact that God is going to be faithful to His Word. See, Psalm 91 tells us that our shield is God's faithfulness to His Word. And we need to start speaking forth that word and say, I am hiding in the shelter. You couldn't get to me without going through God first. And speak forth to the enemy and tell him, God has told me that he would be faithful, and he will, and that is my shield against you. That's the word, and just begin to speak it forth in faith. Let it be that conviction of your heart that's coming forth. And began to say, I'm not going to be afraid of the terror by night or the arrows that fly by day. I'll not be afraid of the pestilence and the sickness and the destruction. God has told me that a thousand will fall by my side, 10,000 at my right hand, but it's not going to approach me and it will not come near my household. And I'm telling you, Satan, that God has sent his angels and surrounding me, surrounding my family. And he's given me authority and you're under my feet. And I call upon the name of the Lord and God tells me that he hears me and he answers me and he rescues me. 
He satisfies me with a long life. He allows me to behold His salvation. I'm not going to fear evil tidings because my heart is steadfast, trusting in God. And just let that word come out of your mouth until you know that your faith has ignited the power that's in that word. Maybe the enemy comes to remind us of some sin, that maybe some sin that we've committed in the past and we've repented and changed. But the enemy will come with condemnation. He'll say, that's why you never have any victory in your life. It's because of that thing that you did back there in your past. Well, that's when we need to stand up and not just ignore the enemy, but stand up and say, no. According to Romans 8 verse 1, there's therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And according to Psalm 103, the Bible tells me that one of my benefits is the fact that God forgives all my sins. And when He forgives my sins, they're cleansed completely by the blood of Jesus. That's my weapon, the blood of Jesus. The blood takes away the sin. The blood completely clears it out of the way and leaves me justified, just as if I'd never sinned. The blood takes care of the power that that sin used to have over me, and it takes away the guilt and the condemnation, and it takes away the consequences. So I'm not taking those consequences from you. We have to take that word, and we have to say it with a conviction in our heart, and let it come forth until that attack is completely gone. Don't ignore it. Otherwise, you may think that you're not thinking about it consciously, but subconsciously it's going on and it's doing damage in all of those ways that we mentioned. It's building strongholds in our subconscious mind. Now, it may not build a stronghold the first time you ignore the enemy or the second time, but if we get in a habit of ignoring the enemy, then finally a stronghold is built in our mind. And if we don't use the Word and use the spiritual weapons, then what's happening, all those things that are building up in our subconscious, they're setting us up for tragedies many times. They're robbing us from using that window of time that we have to begin the warfare. Sometimes there's just that little window of time, and that's when we have to move in and use the warfare. Now that's as far as we're going to go today, but next week I think you're going to find that's going to be one of the most valuable spiritual warfare sessions that we'll have because next week we're going to explore real deeply into how we can take the Word and we can put these attacks down and win over the enemy every single time. Father, I thank you that you have not left us here just to be at the mercy of whatever comes. Father, I thank you that we're not at the mercy of the enemy. Father, I thank you that you didn't say that we'd be victorious here and there and every once in a while. Lord, you expect us to be victorious over the enemy every single time. Father, I thank you that you have called us as your body to be just as you were when you walked the earth, as you were, so are we to be in this earth. You came to destroy the works of the enemy. And Father, we're your body. And as a body, Father, collectively, the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against us. Thank you for that, Lord. I thank you for that. I thank you that you've given us authority over all the powers of the enemy, and he will not hurt us. Father, I thank you that there is not one assignment that can come against us that you haven't given a promise in your word. There's a promise that contradicts every assignment that the enemy could bring. Father, I thank you that you made it so easy for us to be victorious. And we praise you and we thank you for that, Lord.